It's great to see you all. Thanks for everyone that's online joining us for our series titled Weird. What a weird series. What a weird title. Uh, you know, there's a reason why I didn't make a road banner for this series. Like, come to the weird church, right? Like, how weird is weird? Is this a good weird? Is there a good weird? I, I don't know. Um, but it's also a little strange because think back to our last series. How did Chad start off his confessions of a pastor, right? His first confession was, I'm normal. I want to be normal too. I, I, I want to be liked. I want to fit in. I want to sound normal. I want to sound like I don't have an Oklahoma accent, right? I, I want to look normal. Like my goal is to, to 20 years from now look back and not think like, what was I thinking? Why, did, why didn't my kids tell me that wasn't cool? Or why did I think that was cool and now I realize that it wasn't? Like, I want my style to just be like simple and plain and I want to be liked. I don't want to be crazy. I don't really want to be weird. But here's the deal. If we follow Jesus, we're called to be different. We're called to be a little weird. So Chad set that up last, last week, and so if you haven't seen that, check that out online on the website or on the podcast apps. But what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at what does it mean to be weird? What values should we have as followers of Jesus? How, how do we be weird? And instead of going through the laundry list of maybe things we should do or, or not do, we're going to focus on that word values. Some of you know from the, from the business world how important values are. That values are maybe more important than a policy manual, right? I had a buddy text me last week and, or last month, and he was just kind of complaining about work and like, oh my gosh, these, these people, they're, they're doing this wrong, and this is, this is broken, and no one cares about this, and, and no one's taking time to fix these things, and just like on and on, and just frustrated. I was like, hey, focus on the values. Help them understand the values so that they care the way that you care. And if, if that happens and that takes hold, they're going to know the problems that need to be fixed. And so you're not running through trying to fix all these little things like, no, yes, no, no, yes. They're going to be able to do it because they're on the same page and they understand the values. And that's what we're going to look at this week. We're going to read a passage here in 1 Peter 2. And it's kind of a long passage. And you can easily get caught up in the do's and don'ts. And so I, I kind of want you to listen for that as we listen to it. But I also want you to zoom out and look at more like that meta-narrative. Look at what's happening here and why. So let's read this passage together. This is 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, 
you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That's a big list of things. There's things to do. There's things not to do in there. There's good things in there. There's bad things in there. And I feel like if we just listen with one ear to this passage, it's just going to sound a lot like church. Like, oh, those are kind of the churchy things that you, you maybe hear. We might miss that theme. We might miss the bigger story. We might miss the real life implications of what Peter is trying to encourage this group of people to do. And so that's what I would like to focus on. We have the luxury of hindsight, being able to look back at this to see what was going on and, and understand how the church survived in this culture, really, how did the church thrive in this culture? What caused them to think, to act, to love, to serve differently? It's their values. They were called to be different. As followers of Jesus, they were called to live differently than the world around them. They were called to have weird values. And so what does that look like? How did they live these out? In order to fully flesh this out, we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time talking about some history, if that's okay. Any history buffs out there? Is that cool? All right, two. Good. Um, we're going to talk about the Roman Empire, all right? So Roman Empire, this military might, conquests the world, conquer the world, this expansion of Western thought and culture. And when I say Western thought, I mean Western European thought, but for them it was kind of all that, that existed. And so they are expanding and they have this slogan, peace through victory. Like as we colonize and as we take over, we're going to establish rule and things are going to be better because we are here. They um, are focused on the, the Roman gods, right? And, and this influenced every aspect of Roman society, uh, commerce and how they spent their time. Uh, it influenced ethics. The Roman gods influenced their sexual practices. Uh, this, this whole system of empire was built on these gods, but there was one god at the very top. There was one guy at the very top of that, and that was Caesar. That was the emperor, he was on top of this whole structure. And he had titles that might sound a little strange to us. They, they might sound familiar, actually, but titles like the king of kings is what they called Caesar. They, they called Caesar the savior of the world. They called him the prince of peace and the lord of lords. We see this in literature. We see this on, on coins. And what did these Jesus followers do? How did they live counterculturally to that system and that empire and live differently? What values did Peter try to instill in his people in this passage? That's what we're going to talk about today. These values start to, start to change us. And what we see these early Jesus followers, these early, they're starting to be called Christians because of their Christ-like faith. Uh, they were simply, it was really called the way, just the way. I'm a part of the way. And 
we see this movement from self to servant. In verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. And we could pass over this really quickly here. But they saw themselves as foreigners. They saw themselves as part of a different setup, a different kingdom. And this is a very loaded phrase here. This, a, a, a foreigner had a very low status. They're one rung up from a slave. You don't really want to be a foreigner. As Rome expands and takes over these countries and says, hey, you're a part of the Roman Empire now, those servants and those, those uh, exiles, those, they had very low status. They had less rights than, than Rome. They had less priority. They had less access to goods and service. They had less protection under the law. Paul, in, in his travels, is he's starting to get heat from the Roman governors for preaching the name of Jesus. They lay him out, prepared to flog him, prepared to whip him, and he's like, <clears throat> hey, hey, guys, is this how you treat Roman citizens? Do you often uh, punish them without being convicted of a crime? And they're like, Skrr, he's a Roman citizen? Uh, we need a backup here. Like, he has extra protection as a Roman citizen. And here Peter is saying, hey, consider yourself a foreigner. This is not your home. You're of a different kingdom. Make yourself low like a foreigner. Make yourself like a servant. Give up your rights to serve other people. Crazy, crazy, weird, upside-down values. Verse 12 says things like, live good lives among the pagans. 13 says, submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human authority. And we'll talk about how the implications of that here in a moment. He, he says, show proper respect to everyone. Be a servant. Be low. Be humble. We, we don't need to run and form our own community out here. We don't need to do our own thing. We're going to live in the city. We're, we're going to rub elbows with our neighbors and, and these pagans and these people in the Roman world, and, and that's good, and that's where we need to be, but be different as you do that. But we see the first Christian's weird values move from self to servant. We also see their, their mindset and their weird values as their mindset shifts from the immediate to the eternal. Peter tells them some real practical things to do here. Hey, here's some things to do when the rubber meets the road, like do this stuff, don't do this. And it'd be really easy to, for us to be like, okay, cool, submit to the authorities, got it, no big deal. This is a big deal. These are really big deals. He, he says submit to the governors even if they're going to punish you. Submit to, to Caesar, honor the emperor. Why is that such a big deal? What's going on that would make this really difficult? It sounds nice. Hey, just, just be nice people. Be good people. You have to remember that they're being persecuted at this time. And it's very dangerous to admit that you follow Jesus and that you call him to be the emperor, that you call him to be the king of kings and the lord of lords, that you are not bought into this Roman system, that you believe and worship and honor something different. They were persecuted for that. 
there are periods that this is more intense and it kind of wanes and, and, and fades in and out. Um, but it, it's a very real thing. Nero was the, the Caesar 54 AD to 68 AD. Um, weird guy, probably crazy, and um, had some, some very interesting practices. Did not like Christians, blamed Christians for a lot of things. When, when Rome burned down, the only places it didn't burn in the city were where the, the Jews and the Christians lived. And so there's debate on if he caused the fires or not, but he certainly blamed the, the Christians as a result of it. He used them as a scapegoat. He would use them as, as human torches in his, in his gardens. He would dress up Christians with animal furs and, and let dogs attack them as, as a spectacle. Very strange guy. Intense persecution under the reign of Nero. Um, there's a, a governor in Turkey in 111 AD. His name's uh, Pliny the Younger. Uh, some of you may know the cult following of Beer, Pliny the Younger, and Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Younger is a, a real guy, so was his dad. But he was a governor, and he was trying to figure out, what do I do with these Christians? How do I, how do I deal with them? He loved Roman culture. But as he looked around and he looked in the, the Roman temples, he realized that they were kind of empty. And the influence of these Christians had started to shut down some of the Roman commerce things. The, the, the sacrifices that were happening uh, now aren't anymore. And people that are trying to sell their, their animals at, at the temple are, aren't able to do that at these various Roman temples. He's not happy with it. And so he had a practice of if accusations were brought up that this person was a Christian and therefore did not obey Rome and did not follow the emperor, he would question them. Yes or no? And try and get them to say, no, 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 I, I recant. It's not what I believe. I, maybe I did for a little bit, but I don't anymore. And, and if that was the case, he would made the, make them burn incense to a, an image of Caesar. He would make them curse Christ, and he would, he would let them go. But if they didn't, then he would threaten them with death and, and follow through with it. Not so much because he cares that much what they believe, but just because they're being obstinate. It's like, ah, fine, believe whatever you want, be done. And so he writes to the emperor of the time, Trajan, and he's trying to get some, give me some advice. What should I do? How should I handle this? And the emperor affirms his position. Yeah, if, if charges are brought, punish them. Ask, investigate, and punish them. The only thing that the emperor said not to do was don't entertain anonymous accusations. And so you see how risky it is to be a servant. You see how risky it is to say, yeah, I'm going to honor the Roman governor. I'm going to honor Caesar in this system when your life's at stake. And we see these Christians shift their focus, not so much on the immediate, but they start to look at the eternal. And they start to hold their eternal perspective in higher regards. Now, if this is me, I'm real concerned about what my neighbors think about me, right? Like, they hold my life in their hands. If they get upset with me, it's one complaint, and I'm in front of a Roman governor having to explain my beliefs. 
Like, social media's life and death? Yeah, what the social construct thinks of you, yes, it is life and death. Like, we don't want that mean, nasty letter from the Homeowners Association. Like, this is even worse, okay? How people view you determines your life. That's what we see here. And we see them focus on the eternal, even in the midst of this. We see... um, we see this play out in a couple different ways, how they, how they have their sights set on, on something different. And it really comes into play with babies and plagues. This is where the, the rubber meets the road. Because they have these values, this is what's different in these early Christians' life, how they deal with babies and how they deal with plagues. There's a lot of historical accounts and writings of antiquity that, that talk about these, these martyrs. There's some famous martyrs. One of them is, uh, is a woman named Felicitas. She is a consecrated widow. Basically, she's like a, an original nun. She spends all of her time working for the church and carrying out work and doing that. In, in payment of that, the, the church took care of her financially, took care of her. She's a widow after all, and so the church kind of takes her in and does that. Um, And she spends her time taking care of the leftover babies. In Rome, it was all about uh, a male. It was all about a baby boy. And if you were pregnant and you gave birth to a baby and it was a girl, there's no value for that. And, and so then you start to read some of the things that Jesus says about women. And, and knowing that that's the culture that, that they lived in, it's, it's much more striking that they would literally throw baby girls out into the streets. And these Jesus followers are known for going and finding them and taking them in and raising them. Felicitas is one of these. She gets accused as a, as a Jesus follower and not obeying the emperor. Her and her seven sons are all brought before the governor, and she has this rock star line as they're interrogating her. She says, while I live, I shall defeat you, but if you kill me, in my death I shall defeat you all the more. Amazing. The governors didn't even know what to do with her. They were like, oh. So they send word to the emperor, and now this is Marcus Aurelius, all right? So gladiator, any gladiator fans out there? So you do like history, okay? (laughs) He was the emperor at the time. He ordered her and her sons to be put to death, and they did that at various places all around the city. Many people think because he was so superstitious, he's trying to appease local gods in doing so. They had very little concern about their immediate impact because their eternal perspective was so focused. They cared for the lost babies. They also showed up in the plagues. Now, ancient world health and sanitation, very different than it is now. Uh, Living conditions, very different. And so it was pretty common for these diseases to roll through a major city and for a plague to strike the city. Now, imagine you had wealth. Imagine you had power. Imagine you had means. Do you think you're going to stay in the city? No, you're bailing out of there the first chance that you get right? We even saw that this last year, like, peace, I'm going to a mountain vacation town. And so, who stayed 
in the city? Well, the, maybe the cripple, maybe the poor, maybe those that, that don't have the means to leave like that, but you know who else stayed? The Jesus followers. They stayed. They took care of their neighbors. Even in the midst of facing death in a pandemic, they cared for people. They loved people. They served people. And so, if you are left in the city and you're left to die, basically, you start to take this Jesus thing pretty serious. These people are amazing. This is, this is what won over the ancient world. This is what allowed the message and the good news of Jesus to spread. It's this love and the sacrifice that won so many people over in these cities. Amazing things. These were amazing, devoted people in the early church. So for us, what does that look like? When you see yourself as a servant, when you see your life from an an eternal perspective, you can start to live differently. For the early Christians, it it was babies and plagues. That's a great place to start for us too. Like, they were pro-life in the truest sense of the word. And what if we were known for being the, the nation, the church, the generation that, that fostered kids, that adopted kids, that, that made these things not even, you don't even need a foster care system because we're going to be here and we're going to take care of kids. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? What if the church was known for that? It's love and it's sacrifice and it's support. What if the church was known for how they responded during a plague or, let's use the word, pandemic? I'm not sure that Christians have the best reputation right now for how we've responded during this time. I'm not sure we've done a very good job of putting other people first, rather our own rights and our own liberties and our own wants and and desires. What if we did that differently? What if we were known for how we served and how we helped? Here's a weird sacrifice. Here's a weird value that we could have is sacrifice. How can we sacrifice so that the world knows what we believe and who we are? So, we're also going to talk about a different empire. Um, we've talked about Gladiator a little bit. Anyone like the Marvel movies? Get a little more current? Okay, all right. Uh, they have perfected the, uh, the idea of the, the prequel, right? They have perfected the idea of the, the backstory and of the narrative. And we, we have to go back and watch all of these origin stories. There's, a, there's an origin story to these Jesus followers. And if, and if we miss it, then we miss a big part of what gave them the values that they had. And so let's spend just a moment talking about the empire of Egypt. Now, this is your, like, put on your hat, Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses, parting the sea, and the, the Israelites leaving and going out of Israel and, and being in the desert and, and, and all that stuff, all right? So if you know anything about that, this is the time that we're talking about. This is so formative for the, the Jewish history and Christian history. Um, 
Very important stuff. And so what we see here is we see them move from a nation of slaves. We see them move to a nation of priests. We have to remember that these were slaves that God took out of Egypt. And we have to think about the implications of that. Like, think about the, the impact that that would have on their psyche. Think about how damaged and broken they would be. Not just the fact that they have been a slave and that they have been mistreated, but they were born into a system where their parents were slaves and their grandparents were slaves. And this cyclical, just like, it would, it would mess them up as far as their dignity, their identity, their worth, their value was simply a number. They were so damaged coming out of that. And so what does God do? God takes them out of Egypt and he takes them in the des- in, into the desert to teach them how to live. He, he, he's like, here's how to be human again. Here's, here's what justice means. Here's right from wrong. It's not just whoever's strongest gets to take whatever they want and they get to force and oppress you to do whatever. No, here's how you reconcile between people. Here's how you make amends. Here's how to ensure that there's equity. Here's sanitation practices. <laughs> here's how you, you, you be human again. And that's what God's doing with this people in the desert. But he's not just teaching them to be human. He's teaching them to be priests. Exodus 19 says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He wants to bring dignity to these people. He wants to give them a purpose. He wants to put them on a new path. And that path is they have work to do. They have a special purpose. What's the role of a priest? A priest is there to show people what God is like. A priest is there to help bring people to God. It is there to help mediate between God and people. Our son, his, our firstborn son, his name is Cohen. Uh, very Jewish last name. It's a Hebrew word for, for priest or high priest. And knowing that my kids are going to grow up to be pastor's kids and potentially have whatever issues that we can think of that are out there, um, we wanted to instill, no, 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 I don't care what you do. You don't have to do this. You don't have to be a certain way. But whatever you do, you're a priest. Whatever you do, you show people what God is like. Whether you make tables or you install carpet or you run a company that installs AV equipment, I, I don't care, but you're, you're to be a priest in that role. And the same is true for us. We all have the ability to redeem our, our vocation. We all have the ability to show people what God is like the way that we interact with our coworkers, the, the way that we deal in business, the, the way that we listen and, and see people and talk to people and serve and care for them, we are a priest in that moment. We have that ability. We have that calling. And this was a core value for not only the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, 
But for these early Christians, they saw themselves as the priesthood of all believers. Do you see yourself as that today? There's one other foundational shift and value that we, we have to understand as we look back at the empire of Egypt. And what we see God doing with this nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, we see them move from productivity to rest. And this might be the most important one for us today. This is one I don't really want to talk about, if we're being honest. Remember, they were slaves. So what's their value? Their value is simply what they can produce, the, the work they can do. And if you can't produce, you have no value. You are worthless, discarded. There's no point Your function is to work. Now, we're called not to just go and go and go. We're called not to just be robots. We are not slaves to the world. We're not slaves to our job. We're to be like our God who, in the midst of creating, what does he do? He stops and he rests. And for these this nation of slaves that knows nothing but day after day of work and tire and, and struggle and survive, he tells them, no, 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 I want you to stop. And I want you to be for one day. Just one day, just stop it all and know that I'm there and know that I'm with you and know that I love you even if you don't produce anything. That's what he's doing and that's how he's instilling rest in this broken group of people. I don't know if there's another one of the Ten Commandments that we so easily and willfully break. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I'll tell you what, I I can be the chief sinner at that. I can justify that all. I'm just checking an email real quick on my phone, right? I just need to run, run into the office and grab something real quick. Uh, it's, it's just a quick meeting, or this is the only time they could meet. And so, yeah, I, I got to do a little bit of stuff. I didn't get everything done. See, and I don't stop. And I don't rest. And I don't have that moment to just be still and to be loved and to be cared for. Chad was on vacation this week and taking some time off. And, um, so I actually canceled our staff meeting. <laughs> he wasn't here, so I couldn't get in trouble for it, I guess. And so, uh, but I told our staff, listen, I, there's a tongue going on. We all have a lot on our plates. Um, you know, pretty much all parents and, you know, just there's a lot. And so we're all getting about one to three hours of our day back, not having Chad here, not having these set meetings and conversations that we're going to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to rest more. I want you to play more. We need to play harder when we're stressed and when we're busy. We have to disconnect even better when that happens. Connect with your spouse. Uh, Come to Jesus. Allow him to give you rest. Uh, What does it mean for you to have life and life to the full for at least one hour today? Let us know what does that mean? What does that look like? We have to rest. So if we want a weird challenge, if we want a kingdom value for us today, 
and we want to look different than the world around us, let's rest. Let's show the world what it means to not get caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the climb and the race. Let's show people what it means to to create good experiences and create healthy rhythms. So, what does work look like for you? Not just like your job job, but the other things that you have to do, the other things that are on your mind and, and on your plate. Like maybe it's the laundries and the, the dishes, your to-do list, the errands that you need to do. Um, what are the demands that other people have on you? That when you think about your day of like, oh, I got to do this and this, and you get to that one, and you're like, ugh. Those things, you got that in your mind? Stop it. <laughs> One day, one day, like, I'm going to take those things and I'm, I'm not going to do those. And then what does rest look like for you? What would be life-giving to you? It might require energy. The New Testament is full of things. We put all these rules on what the Sabbath has to look like, and, you know, it's back and forth of like, no, 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 it's not that. It's supposed to be life-giving, and, but we've said that's work, so you can't do this. It might involve energy. It might involve, like, sweat. I went rock climbing on, on Tuesday because I always justify in my mind, like, I don't have time to get to the gym. and be really fun. great to do that, but, like, I don't have time to do that. I was like, I- I'm going to make time. I'm going to do it. I'm supposed to be in a meeting right now. I'm going to go rock climbing just for a little bit. I'm going to get away. I'm going to do something that, that I really want to do. Maybe it's taking time for yourself and going on a walk. Maybe it's uh, something where you can create a memory with your family. Uh, What would you find joy in? What would you delight in? What would be fun? Do those things. Find one day in the week where you can do that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be a, a testimony of this life and life to the full that God calls us to? We could do a whole message on the Sabbath because it's really hard to do. And there's amazing spiritual things that go into it. And there's a lot that we can learn. It's not easy. But can we have one day to remind ourselves that we're more than just what we do? We're more than what we produce. We're more than what we can accomplish. One day to be still, to be loved, to be patient. A weird kingdom value is to rest. So what's different if we follow Jesus? As we finish up, what's, what will be different in our lives if we follow Jesus? If our citizenship is different, if we know that we are from a different kingdom, we're in the empire, but we're not of the empire, if we know that we have different values, that we're a servant and we have this eternal perspective and we know that we're a priest and we live out this idea of rest, if we know these things, we will be different. We will be weird in a good way. Let's pray. God in heaven, we need more of you. We need your help to live this out. 
we want to be like you. And thank you for the, the history of just amazing believers along the way that have taught us and encouraged us. And thank you for your scripture that guides us. God, help us to do the small things in our life, to adopt your kingdom values, to look different than the world, to make your name known. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who allows all this to be possible. It's in his name and through your spirit that we pray. Amen.